welcome to Refuge Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Nicole here to introduce you to our next sermon in our Lenten series. Thanks for listening as we continue to deep dive into the heart of what Lent means one story at a time. This week, Pastor Brian preaches from one of my favorite stories in scripture, and he even brings new insights to me from a story that I've heard or preached a hundred times. This week, it's all about Elijah's mountaintop experience, his free fall into the valley, and that gentle whisper that encourages him and renews his strength. So if you're practicing Lent with us, be encouraged to stay the course because the reward is closer than you think. And in the quiet moments, without those distractions, be attentive to the still small voice of God that is whispering truth, love, and encouragement. Anybody given anything up for Lent? You don't have to raise your hands. That's what we're talking about. My name is Brian Colbertson. I'm one of the pastors here. My family has been out of town most of this week, my entire family. And it's rare that I am left at home completely alone. Usually there's a kid or somebody with me. This week it's been me and the dogs. Um, I have not left the house since Tuesday until just right now. And I'm not even joking. <laughs> I made sure I was stocked up on groceries. I think I might have stayed in my pajamas two days in a row. So I have had to be intentional this week about, like, doing stuff that's good for me. So, like, you know, cooking food that's not frozen pizzas and so on. So being intentional is not always so easy, as I've learned this past week. Like uh, our introduction said there, we are going through a series on Lent. Um, Not Lent, L-I-N-T, that comes out of your pocket. Like Nicole said in her dad jokes from the first week, I told her this week that I, I listened to her sermon. I said, nice dad jokes, Nicole. She said, that is the greatest compliment I've ever received. <laughs> Lent is a part of the liturgical church calendar. It starts on Ash Wednesday, which was, happens to be Valentine's Day this year, so a week and a half ago, and it goes through Easter. If you don't know, it commemorates the 40 days and nights Jesus spent fasting in the wilderness. Now, Lent has a reputation about just being, uh, about abstaining from meat. I saw this meme this week. I thought it was pretty funny. Jesus said, honor my sacrifice by abstaining from meat on Friday and all holy days. Peter, Peter slides him a 20. And Jesus says, also fish isn't a meat. <laughs> Peter was a fisherman, if you didn't get that. I think it says it on the slide there. Um, and Jesus didn't say to abstain from meat. That's not in the Bible, by the way. Lent is not just about giving up meat, of course, or giving up Facebook or Candy Crush or ice cream or limiting yourself to one cup of coffee per day, which was what mine was because I usually have three or four. But for Lent, I'm having one cup only per day. The purpose behind Lent, as that opening video showed, is to help us gain a deeper connection with God. And we do that through increased generosity, through prayer, and yes, through fasting. Again, I want to go back to the first week of this series. Nicole used Matthew 6, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And I think that's worth repeating for those three components of Lent. Almsgiving, that weird word that we use. Jesus says in verse 2, chapter 6 says, When you give to someone in need, don't do it as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will get. This is a when, not if. It doesn't say if you give or if you ever give a round of giving. It says when you give. It says it's not for show. 
When you give, it's not for show, it's between you and God. Jesus goes on, he talks about prayer, verse 5. He says, when, not if, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly in street corners and at the synagogues where everybody can see them. I tell you the truth, which is Jesus' code for, hey, listen to this, I really mean this, that is all the reward that you will get. He goes on, he says, but when you pray... Go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to the Father in private. Then your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. That's what David preached on last week, if you were here. This week we are talking about fasting. Jesus says in that same sermon, he says, And when you fast, don't make it obvious, as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled, so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, listen up, this is the only reward they will get. But when you fast, comb your hair, wash your face, so no one notices that you are fasting, except your father, who knows what you do in private, and your father, who sees everything, will reward you. Giving, praying, fasting. Scriptures are very clear. These are very private things between you and God. We don't do it for show. We don't do it so people say, wow, look how holy Brian is. We don't do it to make God love us more or to prove our worth to him. We give, we pray, we fast to intentionally draw near to our creator, to the source of life, to our father, to our friend, and to our savior. I grew up Mormon. If you don't know that, I've probably said it a hundred times in this room. So now you know if you didn't know it. My family was devout Mormons, meaning we went to church every single week. We did all the Mormon stuff. All of my family, except for me, the black sheep, is still Mormon. Mormons were very big on Boy Scouts. This picture here, you can see, uh, that's my little brothers. They don't have any merit badges, but I got like 30 because... That's how we roll. Uh, We did Boy Scouts. You know, I didn't drink coffee or tea as a kid because Mormons aren't allowed to drink that. That might be why I'm trying to make up for that these days. Uh, I once, on more than one occasion, went and got baptized for dead people, which if you don't know that, that's part of the Mormon church. And they would come into this room and you would be dunked like 20 times in the name of all these people who had passed away. I did a lot of Germans when I did mine, so it was a lot of Johann Sebastian and maybe Mozart in there. I don't know. Uh, I left the church before I got my holy underwear, so I don't know how all that works in the Mormon church. I did not get those. I mentioned this, though, tonight to say in the Mormon church, there are no preachers. Every week, two members of the congregation are asked to speak. Everybody gets a turn. It's kind of frowned upon if you decline, which could make going to church every week a little rough because you just didn't know what you were going to get, and not everybody is an excellent speaker. The first Sunday, though, of every month was called Fast and Testimony Sunday. And what that was is it was basically open mic day at the church. The bishop, who was my dad much of my childhood, they would come up and do some announcements. We would sing some hymns as a church. And then the late leader bishop would invite those who felt led to come up to the front and bear their testimony. Now, don't worry. I know some of you are squirming right now. We're not going to do that here tonight. not going to ask you to come up here and speak. But these testimonies that people would come up and get, they were less about Jesus and more about bearing testimony to the stuff you had been brainwashed to repeat. 
I know it pretty well, so here's kind of how it goes. I stand here today to bear testimony that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Joseph Smith was the one true prophet of God, that the Book of Mormon is another testament of Christ, that the LDS Church is the one true restored church on earth, and we are currently led by a modern-day prophet in these latter days. Every testimony, whatever else happened in it, always had those key Again, not to be tough, but those key brainwashing components. And then you would end it. The only part of Jesus that was ever ended, you would say all that, and you say, and in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. That way they knew you were done, and you left the stage. Sometimes a kid would come up, and it was like that verbatim. That was the standard mortem line. Then you would have these others. Some of them were the repeat offenders, and they were the ones who, man, they couldn't wait to come up and tell you everything that happened in their week that week. And they would talk and they would pause and they would sob and they would pause and they would sob. Just say, I needed to share this with you. And they would ramble on and they say, the one true church, Book of Mormon, name of Jesus Christ, amen. Then you had those people, they would get awkward in the room because nobody was coming up front. And they'd finally make their way up and they say, I call them the spirit made me do it. It was I wasn't going to get up here today, but I hate to see this time go to waste. I don't even know what I'm going to say, and I would want to just yell out, then sit down. (laughs) But they would say, I felt a burning in my bosom, which is Mormon code for I felt the spirit. That's how they would say it. The Mormons, they liked the testimony stuff. They would come up, and there would be lots of tears, and the Mormon church showing tears was kind of a sign of the spirit. It wasn't raising hands or doing things like that. If you could cry, it was evidence of the spirit in that religion. They like the testimony part, the display part. Fast and testimony Sunday. You know what they didn't do a lot on that day? The fasting part. My family never did the fasting part. We would get there and we'd do the testimony, but we wouldn't do the fasting. Why? Because fasting is something you do in private. And I can sit here and take jabs at Mormons all night for not practicing what they preach, call them hypocrites, but I'm not their pastor. I'm your pastor. And so here we go. Jesus says, when you fast. So I'll just ask the opening question. When is the last time you fasted for the purpose of drawing near to God? And you might say, well, never. But I came in tonight and I sang the songs and man, they made me feel pretty good. And every week when I got nothing better going on and when my favorite preacher isn't preaching, I still come to church. And listen to this. This week, I paid for the person's coffee behind me at Starbucks and didn't even tell anyone. Boom. Yeah, but when, when have you fasted? When have you set aside time and giving something up for a predetermined length of time to prepare your heart to draw nearer to God? When you fast. And I'm not here to lay a guilt trip, or maybe I am. I don't know. So let's just turn to God's word and see what it has to say. And I think we'll get a bit more encouragement than guilt. We're going to be in the OG Testament, the Old Testament, 1 Kings tonight. In that book, we're introduced to a prophet named Elijah. Remember what a prophet is? Prophet is a spokesperson, speaks on behalf of God. Elijah is our prophet tonight. He's very charismatic. He's very confrontational. I like to think of him as kind of a political activist with some radical stances. And because of this, he has gained a following from others who feel disenfranchised. The period of time is the 9th century BC. It's a very tumultuous period of Israel's history, which I feel like saying that I should say that every time when I talk about Israel's history. 
The king of Israel is, quote unquote, more wicked than all who were before him. But I swear we hear that every time we hear about a king. He's married to a lady. This is a great name to give your kid, Jezebel. Um, There's a reason why we don't generally name our kids Jezebel. Of interest in this story tonight, she was instrumental in spreading the worship of a Canaanite deity named Baal throughout Israel. And so this is a time of great apostasy in Israel. A lot of times we read the Old Testament, it's a lot of wash, rinse, and repeat. The human condition is on full display. Humans have, are, and will always gravitate towards things that replace God. Whether it's a golden calf like we saw last week, or it's Baal that we're going to see this week, or it's power, wealth, entertainment, church buildings, religion, food, tech, whatever. As followers of Christ, fasting causes us to continually examine our hearts because there are plenty of Jezebels waiting for us to go awry. And so we pick up in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. This is Elijah speaking. It says, As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. It's a bold statement. Baal was supposed to be the God of rain and fertility. And so an absence of rain means an absence of their god, Baal. And as the story goes on, just as Elijah predicts, a drought comes, which leads us up to chapter 18. It says, later on, in the third year of the drought, the Lord said to Elijah, go and present yourself to King Ahab. Tell him that I will send, or soon send rain. And so Elijah obeys but there's still no rain. He goes and tells the king it's going to rain. It doesn't rain. The king gets pissed. And so he's trying to now find Elijah and kill this quote-unquote troublemaker of Israel. That's his nickname in scripture. Elijah, the troublemaker of Israel, says in verse 18, I have made no trouble for Israel. You and your family are the troublemakers. You have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and worship images of Baal. And then verse 19, he throws down the gauntlet. He says, now summon all Israel to join me at Mount Carmel, along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who are supported by Jezebel. And this brings us to a showdown here at Mount Carmel. Elijah saying to Israel, y'all need to pick a side. You've straddled the fence for too long. Are you with God or are you with Baal? Two choices, Yahweh, the God of Israel, or Baal. Elijah says, which one do y'all choose? The people respond like my two oldest kids watching Dora explore when they were young. She would ask a question, and they would just look at her and blink back at her eyes. The people remained completely silent. My youngest daughter, Emery, now, I didn't know kids actually answered Dora the Explorer back. She would actually answer the questions when Dora would ask. Elijah says, okay, Baal has 450 prophets Israel has one. It's kind of an off-centered battle here. 450 versus one. Kind of tough odds, big underdog. Everybody place your bets. We're going to play a game. Here's the game. Bring two bulls. We're going to butcher each one of them. And we're going to place the meat on top of our barbecue. But we're not going to light it. And you all are going to call your god Baal. And you're going to ask him to light this fire. And when you're done, I'm going to do the same with my god. Now, for some reason, these prophets of Baal decide to follow Elijah's instructions. I told you he's very charismatic. And so they begin calling on their God, Oh, Baal, answer us. Please light the fire. But there's no reply. 
And Scripture says all day long they call on Baal. They jump up and down. They sing songs. They have a dance-off. They bring out the cheer squad. I wrote a cheer here. I feel embarrassed to even repeat this. Baal, Baal, don't make us ball. Light our fire. We all look small. Something like that. They had a cheer. (laughs) Rah, rah, he's our man. Baal can't do it. No one can. All right. Elijah... As all this is going down, they're singing and they're dancing. They're trying to get their God to put fire on this fire. Elijah, rightfully so, starts to mock them. Love this. One of my favorite parts of Scripture, verse 27, he says, You'll have to shout louder, for surely he is God. Perhaps he is daydreaming or is relieving himself. That's great, right? Scripture can be funny. It's like, did your God fall asleep? Does he have his headphones on? Did his IBS get him locked up in the bathroom for too long? What is happening? He says, or maybe he is away on a trip or asleep, or he needs to be awakened. These are funny attributes of of a way to talk about God. He just taunts them here. And so the prophets begin shouting even louder. They start cutting themselves with knives. There's blood everywhere. Nada from their God, Baal. And so Elijah says, hold my beer takes 12 stones, one representing each tribe of Israel, and he begins to build his altar. Then he digs a trench around it. He fills that trench with water. He piles up the wood. He puts the brisket on top of the fire. And then for some theatrical effect, verse 32, he says, well, go ahead and fill four large jars with water and pour the water over the offering and the wood. So now the wood and the fireplace is all wet. He does this a second time. Get more water, pour water on the fireplace wood. Does it a third time. Our wood is now soaking wet. And so Elijah, this charismatic showman, as the sun is setting, it's the perfect golden hour, he walks up to the altar and he prays. Verse 36, he says, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. And immediately, there's fire. Not just a little flame that needs to be nursed. It's an atomic fire. The wood burns, the beef burns, the stones burn. It says the dust burns, the water evaporates. And because of this display of power, the people get off the fence. They bow down. They cry out, the Lord, Yahweh, he is God, the only God. And then Elijah turns to the king. I love this line. He says, get something to eat and drink, i.e. popcorn, for I hear a mighty rainstorm is coming. In verse 45, he says, and soon the sky was black with clouds and heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm. And Ahab left quickly for Jezreel. Then the Lord gave special strength to Elijah. He tucked his cloak under his belt and ran ahead of Ahab's chariot all the way to Jezreel, which that would just be an image, right? This guy with his cloak tucked in, he's running faster than the horses and the chariots. It's a big day for Elijah. We could call this a mountaintop experience, right? I mean, man, what a day. God's power on display, and him there getting to be such a big part of it. It's kind of like what we saw with Moses last week when he saw the face of God and he comes out and he's just glowing after his mountaintop experience. Or maybe David when he's dancing before the ark when it was brought back to Jerusalem. Or maybe think of the father when his prodigal son came home just glowing, no better day. Or maybe the disciples at Pentecost. 
perfect day, or Jesus at his baptism when he hears his father say, this is my son, that mountaintop moment, those moments where you just can't be brought down because life is too good and your God is too great. Have you had one of those? So much joy and gratitude and awe and overwhelming peace, feeling God's presence, Or maybe you feel like you've been given a special strength to run ahead of the chariots because you've been given additional insight or purpose or meaning. Just that time when all is right with the world. But then, because there always seems to be a but then, we fall off the mountain. Or something or someone pushes us off the mountain. I mean, it happens to Moses. He encounters God, but then finds himself wandering in the wilderness for the next 40 years. David unites the tribes, brings the ark to Jerusalem. There's a great celebration. He's at the top, but then has an affair and leads to a series of unfortunate events. Even Jesus, his mountaintop experience there at his baptism, he immediately goes into ministry. He immediately goes into the wilderness This wilderness and ministry eventually lead to opposition, to betrayal, to an arrest, and to his crucifixion. And then we got Elijah. Mountaintop experience, but he's made Jezebel mad. And now she's trying to kill him. Maybe it's because he killed 450 prophets of Baal. That's a part of the story. Nevertheless, Elijah goes from this mountaintop, best day ever, to running for his life. Sometimes it happens that quick. One minute, you're cruising through the Windex waters of the Bahama. The next, your wife is refusing to speak to you because of things said while you were trying to anchor. It can go from mountaintop to valley quickly. And so Elijah finds himself alone in the wilderness for being this vessel to God. From applause and attaboys to being completely alone in a desolate place with very little time between the two events. Have you been there? Mountaintop to valley like that. I know I have several times in life. I was thinking about it this week. I was uh, thinking back to when I preached the sermon. If you've been here a while, you know what the sermon means and how difficult that was, but I trusted God, and it felt so good to be this vessel for him, for his love and his grace to people who knew they needed to know they were loved. And I remember getting told what a great sermon that was, what a great thing we started, how brave that was. And people from all over the the country in my day job said, man, if I lived in Fort Myers, I would come to your church. And after I preached that message, I expected to lose a part of the church. It wasn't surprising. But the hurt wasn't in the wilderness yet. There was a vibe in the church. It was so good. New people showing up saying, I love this place. It's so amazing. And that mountaintop experience lasted for a good bit. But over the years, many times I've felt alone and abandoned. From the mountaintop, stumbled to the desert, hit by a lot of stones and tree branches as I tumbled down. And I'm not here telling you this because, oh, let's listen to Brian's sob story. I share it because I know you've been there too, in your own stories, where you felt like you were at the top of the world. God was really using you or giving you purpose or vision. And then days or weeks or months later, feeling like that same world that praised you is crushingly now on top of you. Maybe it's celebrating a year of sobriety, then just days later you get into a triggering situation that causes a relapse. 
Or maybe it's the mountaintop of a birth of a child, but then, days later, discovering that the child has a serious condition. Or maybe it's the mountain of landing your dream job, but then you get there and it's a toxic work environment. Or maybe it's buying that first home, and then you're faced with the cost of insurance. Or maybe it's completing an Ironman and then realizing you missed the checkpoints, Nicole. (laughs) 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 Or maybe it was when you accepted Jesus, that mountaintop experience. You're like, Jesus, he's in my life. He's bringing me peace and joy and grace. But then realizing that life's storms don't magically disappear and that following in his footsteps take you through a lot of valleys, not just mountaintops. But that's just life, right? It's the highs and the lows for all of us. And so Elijah goes from this high to a rock-bottom low, and so he prays to that same God that he prayed to on the mountain. But listen to how this prayer sounds different than his first one. Elijah prays, I have had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. My wife is a therapist. That is clinical depression at its finest. But as he longs for death, because in that moment, death feels better than life, says an angel touches him. And the angel tells him to get up and eat. And he gets up and he finds some bread and some water. And Elijah eats. And the angel wakes him up again and feeds him again. And this goes on. And so I'll mention as a quick sidebar, when someone in your life has been knocked off of their mountain, don't kick them while they're down. Be an angel and feed them. Verse 8 says, So he got up, Elijah did, and he ate and he drank. And the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights. And you may have just missed what happened there. This is Elijah's last meal for a long time. He's about to begin a 40-day fast. Why? Could it be that God couldn't have provided him food this entire time? No, God could provide him food. The drought was over. He wasn't specifically commanded the fast. Why does he choose the fast? Well, that's the first point. He chose to fast, to take a break from food, so he can begin a quest for clarity and guidance from God. I mean, that's what we should do when we fall off the mountain, right? And we're down here at the bottom is we should seek God with clarity and for guidance. Elijah has been through a lot, the highest of highs and now the lowest of lows. And so what's he supposed to do with that? What's he supposed to do with his faith or lack thereof? His lack of desire to want to be a roller coaster prophet for the rest of his days. And so perhaps this is a timing of fast to work through some existential crossroads in his life. A time to meditate and to reflect. Every time he has a hunger pain, a reminder to pray, to look up, to listen, to seek. Or maybe Elijah knows that there is a future encounter coming with God, and he's using this fast as a time of preparation to get his heart and his mind right through prayer and fasting. And another quick sidebar, you can pray without fasting, but you can't fast without praying. The two go hand in hand when you're fasting. If you're fasting without praying, you're just starving yourself, quit it. It's ridiculous. So maybe this is all just symbolic. 40 days and 40 nights, that's throughout Scripture. Maybe he's just practicing self-denial. Maybe it's causing Elijah to force himself to be dependent upon God. I don't know. But what I know is he fasts for 40 days. Let's go back to what Jesus said in his sermon. He says, but when you fast, 
comb your hair, wash your face, that no one will notice that you're fasting, except one person, your father. And your father who sees everything, when you fast, your father will reward you. Scripture doesn't say, if you fast, the Father might reward you. If you fast, you got a 50-50 chance of getting some kind of reward out of it. The text is clear. The Father will reward you. Now, I'm not a prosperity gospel teacher. If you don't know what prosperity gospel is, it's basically do good, give money to the church, watch God pour out blessings on your life. It's not what I'm trying to say here. But let me put on my prosperity hat for just a moment. Because Scripture, again, just said, if you fast, if you give up something for a period of predetermined time to prepare your heart, the Father will reward you. At the end of his journey, Elijah finds himself in a cave at the end of these 40 days. And I think by this point, Elijah knows God is going to show up. But how? How's God going to show up after these 40 days of fasting? A burning bush like Moses, man, that'd be cool. Mufasa up in the clouds, Elijah, I'm here. How's God going to show up? Verse 11, it says, Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told Elijah. And as he stood there, the Lord passed by. And a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. All right, here we go, here we go. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. That's Elijah's reward for a 40-day fast, a gentle whisper. So many pastors today like to preach about a loud God. I googled some of them this week. One said, our God doesn't just whisper in the silence, he roars in the storm of our lives. That sounds good, right? When God moves, it's not a whisper, it's a thunderclap echoing through your life. This one, our God doesn't just speak, he declares with a voice that shakes the foundation of the earth. And I get where all that comes from, right? Easter and and all of that power of God, and sure, all of that can be God, But more often than not, we hear God speak as a gentle whisper. Whisper that can so easily be missed. And so here's where the reward of fasting comes in. When we're fasting, we're praying, I hope, which means we are more tuned in to God, dialed into his frequency, that sacred space We can be more attuned to hear the gentle assurance when God says, it's going to be okay, even when everything else around us is screaming otherwise. Or when we fast, it can strip you down, peel away that self-reliance, which may allow you to hear that whisper that my strength is all you need. Fasting can humble your heart so that you can hear God's gentle call, lean on me. Fasting can sharpen your spiritual senses, fine-tune that inner ear so that you can hear God's reminder, follow my lead. Fasting can create space for introspection, and in that space you can hear God's whisper of renewal and hope, I make all things new. Fasting can bring us to a place of sincerity, that authentic space where God whispers to your soul, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 
Fasting can foster vulnerability so that you can hear God's comforting words, my grace is sufficient. And when you hear God whisper, when you hear God speak, we're rewarded. We're rewarded with a deeper, more intimate relationship with God. We're rewarded with increased clarity for discernment. We're rewarded with renewed strength when we want to quit. We're rewarded for a revelation of a sin that's been hurting us or harming us or those around us. We're rewarded with an enhanced prayer life, which puts us in an endless loop of reward. Easter is right around the corner. And so if you've already embarked on a journey of fasting, way to go. Good. Stay the course. The reward is near. And in those quiet moments, be attentive to that gentle whisper. For those who haven't yet begun, whether it's a Lenten food fast or committing to fasting for 24 hours or you're going to give up something you believe is a distraction from hearing God now until Easter, well, there's no time to start like the present. In Scripture, we find just three people who went through a 40-day fast. Anybody know who those are? I just told you one. Elijah, Jesus, Moses. And it just so happens, I realized this week, that these are also the three men that find themselves together at the transfiguration of Christ. When heaven and earth collides, the three people there are the three people who have done a 40-day fast. And I'm not saying go out and do a 40-day fast so you can be at Jesus' transfiguration. But there we are. And if you think about that moment, this great moment in Jesus' ministry, this transfiguration, there you have Moses who represented the law. You've got Elijah who represented all the prophets. And you had Jesus, the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. And I think we're given some insight here to the deep connection that spiritual fasting, uh, discipline of fasting, prepares us with readiness. And so as we count down the days to Easter, don't let it just be this passage of time. Take these weeks to prepare your heart to be ready to celebrate the greatest event in human history, that Jesus, through his death, life, and resurrection, has conquered sin and death, offering us a great reward. And so I thought tonight we would close with a time of prayer before we worship. And so where you're seating right now, just want to encourage you to quiet your heart, your minds, bow your heads, close your eyes. Try to adopt a posture of readiness. Get ready to engage with God. I'll lead you along. And so we'll start tonight. Just take a moment and try to reflect back to a mountaintop experience. A moment where you just felt so connected to God, or maybe it felt like the world was just perfect. Get that moment in your mind. Transition in your mind now from that mountaintop experience to a wilderness period. Maybe it's one you faced in the past or one you're facing now. challenges before God, asking for strength and guidance.
Elijah was sustained for God's provision for his journey, ask God to provide you with the spiritual nourishment you need to sustain you through the wilderness or to sustain you through this time of Lent. you to simply quiet your mind and listen. Be attentive to the gentle whisper of God, ready to receive whatever he gives, comfort, assurance, instruction. Just quiet your mind. 